Hello, and welcome to the Business Behind Small Business, the show that reminds you that just because you own a business doesn't mean you are a business owner. In each episode, we will discuss a common issue small businesses face and offer tips and advice from the perspectives of two business owners, one that built to sell and one that built to inherit. We are your hosts, Savannah Stone and Chloe Lee. There's a lot of business behind small business, so let's get to it. Today kicks off part one of a three-part series, Hiring Post-COVID. We will focus on what's changed, what's remained, interview processes, onboarding and offboarding, plus much more. Today's episode will focus on how culture has changed, the expectations of a job from the employee's perspective, and how important that is for you as the employer to know when searching for talent. Before we begin this episode, however, we do have some news to share, so let's dive in. But before we begin, please note our disclaimer. This is available in both our show notes and on our website and should be referred to before and or after this podcast. So, Chloe, what you got to share? Wait, are we still going by Chloe? <laughs> well, maybe not. I'm going to call you <laughs> Chloe for now. <laughs> Till you reveal yourself. <laughs> Till I reveal, unveil myself. Yeah. Now I feel like now I feel like that uh, that singing show, whatever. Oh yeah, take the mask. the singer, or I don't know. I'm probably killing it. I don't. I don't even know what's called. To be quite honest, though. Uh, no. From this point forward, I shall be known as Tiffany, my real name, <laughs> instead of Chloe. <laughs> <laughs> and then one day we may actually answer the question of why we went with a uh, with a uh, by name to begin with instead of just going with Tiffany. So, yes. So moving forward, you are Tiffany to me. Well, you've been Tiffany with me always, but <laughs> I'll be Tiffany forever works. known to the I'll be forever known to the airwaves as Tiffany now. Yay! All right. Well, cool. Well, Tiffany, why don't you tell us what you think happened to the workforce mentality during lockdown? Well, so I'm going to go about this kind of from the employer's point of view and the employee's point of view, right? Mm -hmm. So let's kind of set a baseline here because employees aren't the only ones that were affected. Man, as employers, we were definitely affected by uh -huh. COVID. <laughs> uh -huh. So before COVID, the, the common and most popular option was to hire employees and ask them to commute to the office. And the thing is, that was really an issue. Nobody really batted an eye, unless you live in a high traffic area, like we do here at in the DMV area. But then even then, commuting was seen as a necessary evil to get the job. In fact, it was actually considered progressive to have workers work part-time remotely or even fully remotely. Don't I know it. Mm. Hard to believe that that was only two years ago. <laughs> but... We all know now that what was once considered progressive is the new normal. And the new normal comes with a whole lot of options and honestly, a whole lot of opinions for both the employer and the employee. Let's start with the employer. So as the employer, you now have many more different types of work models to consider post-COVID than you did before. And now you need to decide what work model works for your company and for your recruiting strategy. 
let's say, for example, you are a traditionalist and you want to ask all your employees to come back to the office like before. Well, if you do that, now you have to address workplace health and wellness concerns. And I don't think that's going to go away anytime soon, even in a post-COVID world. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, being the fact that the allure of working remotely is so widely offered by any other company in the area, if you would like to attract talent, you may have to consider offering more to compensate for now what's seen as an inconvenience of asking your workers to commute to the office. That is if you if you actually want to hire good people. So let's say instead that you are feeling progressive or, you know, buying into the new normal and you decide that you want to do a hybrid. Well, in this case, now you have a handful of options to choose from and you have to address the finer details of the ratio you want your employees to work from home or come in the office. Now, I would like to say that usually it's 50% or more of the time being allocated to working remotely in general. So as the employer, now you need to think about this and also the impacts of that, as well as your HR, if you're lucky to have one, and then figure out how you want to actually optimize the time of, you know, in-person, face-to-face time when your employees do come to the office. Now, let's go through kind of quickly the different options you now have as an employer. So per the Harvard Business Review, most hybrids fall under three models. We have the clubhouse model, the activity-based model, and the hub-and-spoke model. So clubhouse model. This is the model where the employees visit the office when they need to kind of work on something together and collaborate, and then they return home when they have to do focused work. This makes the office uh, serve more of a more like a social club or social hub. Sorry, (laughs) social club. I'm sure every employer wants to hear that. Um, (laughs) A social (laughs) hub where people go meet, socialize, work together, and then they all go home. Then there's the activity based model for which the employees have an office to work from, but don't have an assigned desk. So they come in and they kind of move between the different kind of workspaces you have in your space, in your place. So they can be like moving from like a meeting room to like a phone booth to like hot desking or satellite desk where you kind of reserve a space within your office. So you can kind of drop in and drop out or like, you know, any kind of cafe or kitchen or loungy areas you may have put into your office space. Mm -hmm. And so that's called the activity based model. And then, then there's the hub and spoke model. So then rather than traveling to a large office in some central business district, employees now have the option to work from smaller satellite offices in the suburbs or neighborhoods closer to where they work. Now, of course, after those hybrid options, you have one last option, which is to have a virtual workforce in which everybody works from home or somewhere else outside of your office. Now, to make both the hybrid option and the fully work remote option work, you as the employer will now have to figure out the additional technology needed for all your workers to connect remotely and still collaborate effectively. And not only that, they also need to communicate internally as well as externally with your clients. And you also probably want some way to actually track the productivity of your employees digitally. And of course, let's not forget what goes hand in hand in that, which is all the additional cost of this technology, which is now, eh, let's admit it, every single tech is under some kind of subscription model per month, per user, which can really add up. And then not just for the technology itself, you also need to think about the cost of actually training your employees to learn how to use all that technology effectively. So let's say that it sounds really complex because it is. 
<laughs> One other thing as the employers now they have to consider is that, hey, say that you want to go to hybrid model or to work remote model. You got to think about that. Not everybody works well remotely. That is true. So if you choose either one of those models, you just need to consider, well, who exactly do you want to hire? And is the people in that pool the ones that will actually work effectively and efficiently in the model that you've chosen? So per the Pew, Pew Research Center, they did a study where they found out that among from those working from home all or most of the time, those younger than 50 are significantly more likely than those older than 50 to say that it's been difficult for them to get any work done at home without interruptions. 38% of those polled or between the ages of 18 to 49 versus 18% of the workers which were 50 or older. And not only that, it also affects how motivated they feel at work. And about 42% of those polled were between the ages of 18 and 49, and 20% of those polled were over the age of 50. Hmm. The youngest workers among those most likely to say that they lack motivation um, and saying that it has been an impediment for them feels like most, well, let's just say that since the pandemic started, mm -hmm. these were people or more than half of the people polled and they were between the ages of 18 to 29. So as an employer, you no longer just have to consider one commonly acceptable way of working in this in, as in the pre-COVID world. And then once you decide which model you want to adapt from and the options that you have with it all, you need to consider how you want to recruit as along with who you want to recruit. So oh, no, I'm just saying that from the employer's point of view, quite a few things have changed post-COVID. Now let's go over quickly from the employee's point of view, because I know Savannah, you're going to dive even deeper than what I'm about to do next on mm -hmm. it. I found a title of a Times Magazine article that was published May of last year, 2021, and I think the title said it best. <laughs> uh, the title of it said, The Pandemic Reviewed How Much, oh, sorry, The Pandemic Revealed How Much We Hate Our Jobs. <laughs> so now we have a chance to reinvent work. <laughs> yep. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And Boy, did a lot of people find out they hate their jobs. <laughs> yep. Yes. <laughs> because after all, we had so much time to sit at home and think about it. You know, think about work life, think about, you know, just kind of life in general. Life in general. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a great and scary thing to happen. Mm -hmm. Now, according to an article by Fast Company published in April of 2022, which is the current month that we are in as we're recording this podcast, they said that we are currently in the middle of a talent crisis where the employees have unprecedented leverage. And to be quite honest, I couldn't agree more. I absolutely 1000% agree. Did you know that approximately 69 million Americans quit or switched jobs in 2021? Now, this period of time is actually called the Great Resignation. Mm -hmm. and then toward the last quarter of 2021 and now into the first quarter of 22, actually, 2022, actually, employers are um, now trying to call their employees to come back to the office or those few who dare to do so. <laughs> Would you like to come back? <laughs> And seeing how people reacted in 2021 to COVID, I don't think anybody was particularly surprised that the reaction of employees was to quit their jobs even more. <laughs> and 
because they simply didn't want to go back. And to be quite honest, they also just have so many more options of other companies offering them the ability to work remote. Now these employers are finding themselves negotiating schedules and developing new systems simply to try to hold on and keep the good talent that they have because at the end of the day, the talent is scarce and the competition is fierce. So it is a question of how did our point of view change about going back into an office after two years of working in our pajamas, right? And um, now companies that are post-COVID are asking, where did all the people go? So what do offices need to change to attract talent if there's any left at all? Well, not talent, but you know, interest. We've been offering recruiting for a few years now, and I used to admittedly be kind of cocky at how great my success rate was until COVID changed everything. I think everyone experienced this existential awakening in some way, shape, or form when they were forced to stay at home. At first, it was an opportunity to catch up on Netflix, but then working from home went from weeks to months, and for some, it was as though the walls were starting to cave in. When I say some, I mean me. <laughs> I was going to be like, can I raise my hand? Uh, I totally know how that feels, and I'm an introvert, and I was like, get me out of here. Right. Well, so I work from home, and working from home meant that it was an option, but then for two years, it was not an option. It was, you know, you must work from home. Um, so, you know, we took- It doesn't feel so good when it's not an option anymore, does it? No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. And I think my, my pets are all sick and tired of having conversations with me. They're like, lady, just let me go and be. Um, anyway, so, you know, many of us, we took up knitting. Uh, we made TikTok videos. I made TikTok videos until I was like, I feel stupid. I'm not going to do this anymore. Uh, we learned how to cook new types of food. We started going for longer walks. Podcasts became super popular. Um, whatever it was that people needed to do to distress, uh, to de-stress or to decompress, they did. During this time, they also realized that there was more to life than just getting a paycheck. This is where I believe the culture of the workplace completely changed. And it speaks to the, um, the numbers that you were mentioning earlier. Uh, I would love to know the psychology behind this as well, because I, I just, I really don't think we will ever go back to who we were prior to 2020. Oh, I'm sure there are a multitude of psychologists who are willing and probably currently diving into the psychology of what occurred the last three years. Oh, yeah. Uh, before then, we had careers. We had jobs. We accelerated our achievements according to how much money we could make or how many accolades and accomplishments we could achieve. But now people are not looking for a job. People are looking for an experience. They want to know that they're uh, to the, that the company that they are going to work for is going to give them a holistic experience. They want to know that there will be a life work balance, and rightfully so. This is this is something that people started to realize. That's that's the reason why people were leaving their jobs. They're like, you know, I give my whole life to this. Why am I, why am I doing this? I'm really enjoying this time I'm getting to spend with my kids. Uh, my dog sees me more often or, or I've just taken up this uh, amazing um, skill or hobby and I don't want to have to give that up for this job that doesn't feed me, uh, feed me as in feed my soul. Um, but the problem is, is that not every company has that capability and some employers are finding it very difficult to find even the basic candidates because of the expectation and 
dare I say, entitlement of some of those candidates. And I know that some of what I'm saying is controversial, so please don't come at me. <laughs> what, 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 <laughs> I mean, I can handle it, but I'd prefer you not. Um, <laughs> what, what do you do if you're trying to hire and you're having a really hard time doing it? So what do you do if you're trying to hire and are having a really hard time doing it? I, I feel like everyone I know that has a business is just beside themselves as to how to find talent, any kind of talent. Um, I honestly find it a little ironic that I should be giving anyone hiring advice when I and my own company have been having challenges unlike any I've ever had before in finding talent. And, and Tiffany, I feel like I've, I've lamented to you about this where, you know, you, you used to say, oh, wow, you, you've got, you know, you do really well with this. And I was, I was like, look at me go. I hire really great people. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm really awesome at this, aren't I? And then the last like six to nine months, I've been like, what the heck is going on? Where are these people? And why do they keep leaving? Um, well, so just, just to, just to, just to kind of continue that thought a little bit more, I think you're right. It is, it, it's ironic, right? But in a sense that it may also make us like, or you the perfect position to give advice because you have since then had to figure out 50 different ways to do yeah. things than you previously yeah. did just to, yes. just to keep up with the changes post COVID. So, um, that is, that is my way of sliding in the fact that you should listen to up next two episodes for that lovely piece of information that we will be sharing with everybody through our own um, trials and tribulations. <laughs> She's right. Um, in saying that, it's important to know what is going through the mind of the employee or rather what we have seen has been the trend. So maybe I'm a little late to the show, but there has been this growing trend of forums and platforms of people who encourage one another to job hop or, you know, just to quit. Um, and what's strange is that some of the ones that I have seen are actually HR. Like it's a, it's run by a, an HR firm or an HR person. It's bizarre. So That's shocking. So I'm surprised they didn't fall over by the stress of COVID on all of the HR professionals who, who were, you know. Yeah, it's like they're run by HR professionals who are like, you should quit or you should job hop or you should. That's an HR nightmare. Well, okay. Anyway, well, that's, that's surprising. But hey, I guess, I mean, you know, it's for the welfare of the employees. So I sure. Um, but so oftentimes you're you will get a candidate who will go through all of the levels of interviews. You will also offer them a job and they will accept it. But then they will turn around a week later or maybe even the same day. And tell you, oh, I'm sorry, I actually have decided I'm going to stay with the company I'm with, or I'm, I've decided to take a different job or whatever. This is because they generally will go to the other company that they are leaving, or maybe they will uh, leverage what you've offered them and they've already accepted against another company that they really want to work for as well and use it as a bargaining chip. The other option is they also just like say no to everybody and also do like a, like a 180 career change. Yes, yes, that too. I've gotten that too. Um, and I don't, I, I absolutely do not condone it. And maybe that's me showing my age. Maybe. Uh, but it's very common. And you should be aware that this is a potential for you when you're going to hire someone. You may notice on resumes that not a lot of people will only work, or rather that not a lot of people will only work at 
some places for three months to six months, nine months, or you know, maybe it's just me, but I feel like most of the resumes that I've seen over the last six months, I've had like, they've had like 10 jobs on them with none being for more than two years. It's, it's like the craziest thing I've ever seen. Uh, this to me is more evidence that job hopping is a trend and I really don't think it's going to go away. And there's also this belief that job hopping throughout your entire work career, people who do that tend to make more money. It's a, there's this belief that you tend to make 10% more overall if you do job hopping. Um, but what you can do to avoid a job hopper is to ask very pointed questions and to also let them know in their agreement that they must stay with you for X amount of time in order to get whatever bonuses or benefits you may offer. Also, uh, I didn't, I, w I wasn't going to mention this, but when you mentioned the whole remote uh, aspect, um, I should also note that when you're doing your pre-interview, you sh if in your company is remote or you plan on having any remote um, hybrid uh, position available, you should ask them, have they ever worked remote or have they ever worked alone? A lot of people um, may have worked remotely or worked in a hybrid, but we, they work with other people. Yeah, I think that's a fair question. It's also like, you know, it's not it's not on the HR list of things you are not allowed to ask legally. So, right, right. but it's it's a fair question. It's good to know if somebody has because the thing is, well, luck well, then again, for the last two years, most people's answer should be yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that they've gotten like a lot of them should, right? That they've at least right. gotten exposure to it. And, you know, it's it's a good follow-up to say, you know, okay, well, you know, let me tell me how how did that work out for you? How do you feel about working remotely? And to see how it is. Some people, you'll be surprised. Some people are honest and they'll say, you know what? I actually, I love going to an office. Like I just, I like the people. I like to be around other people. I cannot sit at home all day by myself. You know, I do better with the hybrid where I can pick days and I come in and get my work done. And there are days where I, I'm home. Right. It's a, it's a great conversation to have and nothing, nothing wrong in this day and age to have that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, another thing I'm noticing as of late is that charitable alignments and social justice alignments mean a lot to incoming employees. You may not want to get involved in any kind of political statements or political alignments, which is completely fine. And honestly, I don't think that any company should make that part of their hiring process, but it could be good to allow candidates to know what kind of neighborhood or town support you give if you sponsor any like uh, peewee baseball team or like the local soccer team in the area, if your company donates or if you do any events or um, for any particular charities, even if you do like some kind of a sponsorship at your local school, you know, this could encourage incoming talent to choose your company over another that maybe, you know, they don't do any of those kinds of things. Uh, in the end, you do want incoming talent to know that the company that they are coming to work for is going to give them some level of an experience that is outside of the expected work environment. So something that is, if you could say a, a basic company in 2019 did A, B, and C, you want to be able to tell the incoming talent, we give you a finer experience than that, a broader experience than that. You know, no matter how simple or complex the job, people want to feel like there's a reason for them to get out of bed that is more than just a dollar sign. And in the last two years, we have flipped to that kind of belief. It is not about the dollar anymore. Now it is about the experience. So consider the kind of company you have and the ways in which you can create a warm and welcoming environment. 
consider ways in which you can create an attractive experience that is aligned with what your company's mission is. And if you don't know what your company's mission is, then it's time you start doing some existential research of your own. So in saying that, what, uh, what, let's talk a little bit about what we've personally experienced in our expectations of the workplace um, uh, on our own that has changed post-COVID. So I, I would say to your point about, you know, people not getting up for a dollar sign anymore, they're getting up for the experience. I feel like that was already kind of happening even pre-COVID. It just wasn't a popular belief. Right. And now, like you said, it's kind of flipped where now that is the popular belief and people are wanting more than just just a paycheck. Right. Mm -hmm. The paycheck is nice, of course, and they still want that. It's just that they're they're not willing to compromise um, the uh, their their quality of life for just that paycheck. Mm -hmm. So in my own experience, um, and it was kind of, it was, it was, it was interesting because this is actually something that was written in that uh, Fast Company article I mentioned earlier, the one that cited about 69 million Americans quitting in 2021. Um, they were making a prediction of what else is to come in this wave of great, the great resonation, right? And I've actually already seen this last year. So I'm 100% on board the fact that this is going to happen in the future. Uh, still, which is uh, what they're predicting is that between now, which is April and the end of the year, A players are, you're going to see more of them put their foot down and basically demand that they stay remote. And to be quite honest, you'll see that employers will have to give in. Um, and while that sounds good, right, because it means like we're kind of moving to a new wave, I do believe that there is a big chance that this will actually cause a really big class difference, especially if you're in a hybrid work model, right? Because those who are working remotely and then those who don't, there's going to start being feelings of tension between them. Um, this may actually lead to like feelings of animosity and envy, especially if like an A player that you designate as an A player, you're like, yeah, of course, you can work from home whenever you want, whatever flex schedule you want. And then somebody else has to come into the office. And then not to mention the fact there'll be a growing segregation between and a disconnect between those who work remotely and those who are in the office. Because to be quite honest, if you're not in the office, you may not be around for a impromptu last minute meeting or those informal chats of those, you know, in their cubicles or in the kitchen or around the wa water cooler. And that's not something that can be translated to those that are working remotely. So you're, you're just kind of missing out on those things, which is just going to farther feed into this class difference. Now, later on for 2023 and beyond, the article also predicts that the employer will kind of try to rely on the old, you know, carrot and stick methodology by basically trying to offer more cash and more bonuses to attract talent. But the thing is, that may be great for attracting talent, but that's probably not going to work for keeping it. So essentially, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, you might be able to keep them for a short period of time until they get that cash or their bonus or whatever it is, and then they'll be gone. Absolutely, right? Because it's just, there's there's so many options now, right? Mm -hmm. People are throwing out the same carrot and stick, a bigger carrots and sticks, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. To, to get talent to come to their side. Because if before COVID, we already knew getting great talent is scarce, I mean, now it's just off the charts how hard it is, at least in a, in a short run, right? At some point, yeah, I feel like things are going to settle down a little bit and kind of come to a norm. But for now, I think it's going to be really, really competitive for a bit of time. So honestly, the only way for employers to really survive and keep their talent a long time is invest in creating a great culture for their employees, ones that they want to join, and then also investing in long-term leadership solutions to continue and can reconfigure the workplace so that it 
keeps and maintains and be stays a place that employees want to enjoy working from and working at and something that will also motivate them to do their best work. I know, Savannah, you were talking about just creating that um, experience, and that is that is the ultimate answer, right? Because not only is it going to keep your employees, but to be quite honest, if you are working in a place that all your employees are talking about, or you create a place that all your employees talk about, guess what? That is going to be great for recruiting because there's a whole bunch of, what is it, job boards, opinion boards, like Glassdoor yeah. and whatnot, where you know empl- employee potential employees candidates will go look to review how how is it to actually work in your company and those things affect you like especially the negative ones they will definitely affect a, a potential candidate from applying to a job at your company because you got a negative review right so personally I, i'm i'm a little apprehensive <laughs> about all this complexity there's so much going on right now um it just so happened that during covid i you know wasn't in, in a place where i needed to hire anybody but Honestly, I think that in a post-COVID world, being the fact that we're getting this fundamental shift from focusing on work to kind of focusing on on just honestly different things, experiences, uh, culture, outcome, I, I think that's better for us in the long run. I've always been a proponent of like for employee performance to really focus on the outcome, like what they can deliver and how they do and what their work is like versus the number of hours they clock in. And now that, you know, we have this hybrid model, it's going to be so much harder for an employer to kind of, you know, do the old, like, you know, the old checkup, you know, if you physically show up at work, then clearly you're doing some work and it has to be between nine and five. It's kind of taking that and throwing that out the door, which I love because I feel like that's the way, that's the direction we need to go in. Um, I think that this new way of working is so much more human centric than it used to be. And in the long run, even though there is some short term pain. Well, a, a lot of short-term pain. <laughs> I, I think in the end, we'll, it'll, we'll end up having better results for both the employees and the employers like you and I. I just like to point out that um, I told everyone this for years and I would get into arguments with people who were like, nine to five, is nine to five, Monday to Friday is the best way to get people to work. And I'm like, that is so wrong. That is so wrong. Um, I, I will say this is not a new problem. This was a problem I faced 20 years ago, exactly, when I was trying to figure out how I could work and get around daycare. The cost of daycare was going to cancel out whatever job I was going to be able to get, and the ga- cost of gas was going to essentially turn me upside down. Uh, because where I lived and where I lived in Michigan, I couldn't really get a job anywhere near me. I would have to go into Detroit, and I had moved further away from Detroit, whereas before I used to live like right on the, on the cusp. And I didn't have as much of a problem, but then I was going to have to drive 25 miles each way. So 50 miles a day, it just, it wasn't, it wasn't going to work out for me. Um, I had to figure out how to cobble freelance jobs together to create an income that was both supportive of our family needs and do it from home. And as you know, and as I mentioned multiple times before my company started remote, um, my company started remote and has been remote since 2011. And I have always said, that people are most productive when they are allowed to create their own timeline. Now, if they are able to get all of their work done on Monday and Tuesday and they are done, then they are done. They they did their work. What is the point in having them there Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday if they're done? It's a waste of time. It's a waste of money. It's just a waste of everything. Yeah, so in saying that, it was very difficult for some companies and individuals to understand how it is that we could do what we were doing 
being in the industry that we were in and doing it fully remotely and securely and efficiently. So, you know, I had to, I had to offer in office uh, uh, options to people and some, a lot of people wanted us to be in the office. And I tell you, when we were in the office, we were the most inefficient, but whatever they were paying for an hourly. What did I care? Um, I will say I learned a lot over the years, but have been pretty successful with this model. Uh, the one thing I can say that is of the utmost importance, if you choose to have a remote staff, do yourself a favor and take an intercommunication class or do some research on intercommunication. Learning how people understand you when you speak is imperative when you can't see them physically. Even though it seems like it should be, being face-to-face -face with a person is not the same as being Zoom-to-Zoom -Zoom with them. I feel um, like that could be a tagline somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll figure something out. Um, I, I didn't realize when I created this company and was creating situations that were most ideal for me and my life, that I was also in turn creating the kind of culture and environment that was attractive to others who wanted to work within this type of space. What I mean by that is my processes are focused on a remote staff. My expectations are focused on a remote staff. My communication is also very focused on a remote staff. What I will say is that even if we were to transition to a face-to-face -face office setting, these comfort points would translate well and are still very effective in both attracting and retaining talent. Um, now I will say, and I know I'm going to completely contradict myself now, but it has been infinitely more difficult to hire and retain over the last six to nine months. It's not just me. It's something I mentioned earlier. It's uh, definitely something other companies and other industries are feeling across the board. Uh, but I do believe it comes down to this. Many people had an opportunity and the time in which to do some inner soul searching. And they realized that they were in control of where they work and how they work and how often they work and what work even means. It's completely opposite of where we were in 2019. And maybe, maybe some of it existed, but not to the level at which it exists now. Uh, but you know, here we are. So how do you hire and retain from here? I can say for, uh, for me, and as honestly, it's been difficult, but it has taught me that I have to ask more pointed questions like the one I, I mentioned earlier about working remotely. Have you worked remotely before and how successful were you at it? Uh, that's what I do during my interview process. I had to add uh, specifications to the employment contracts and I had to create a very easy and comprehensive training process. I had to create a situation and a process that lived within it that was so attractive and so easy to experience that a person wouldn't want to leave. We have so many opportunities for people to collaborate that support one another. We, we do do Zooms. We have, we have lots and lots of layers and layers of ways where people can be, feel connected, but not controlled. That, that is the, the core of my company. Um, and I think is the most successful way of having a remote staff or a remote hybrid. Uh, of course, we're going to talk about these things in the upcoming episodes. However, I thought I would share this at least as part of the foundation of a bigger conversation. So in each episode, we like to connect a famous example to our discussion to help you relate our talking points on a more global or well-recognized scale. Sometimes we use exact examples of either famous persons or successful business owners of today or in history 
And sometimes we use examples of people who inspire us and have inspired today's discussion. So my famous example today is really centered around innovation in the face of crisis. So as you learned a little bit earlier, my outlook on this whole thing, even though in the short term, it's creating a lot of pain for a lot of us. But I do feel like I'm a little bit more optimistic that we are going to create something even better at the end of this. And the reason my examples are based around crisis is because the pandemic was a crisis and crisis will lead us to innovation. And this has been proven time and time again in history. Savannah will appreciate this part because we all know she loves history. <laughs> I sure do. <laughs> so, for example, in history, uh, American soldiers in World War II created homemade patches, homemade patches for planes and jeeps when standard replacement parts couldn't be found or couldn't you know, be delivered to them. Um, another example is following the explosion of Apollo 13, NASA engineers devised an ingenious solution to bring astronauts more safely back to Earth. Now, aside from history, there's also a couple of innovations that we've already seen because of this pandemic. For example, Dyson had to de design a new ventilator in 10 days. <laughs> wow. Alibaba, uh, which is the company in uh, if you don't know what Alibaba is, it's like the equivalent of like the Chinese Amazon in a sense, mm -hmm. and plus a million other things with it. And the retailer uh, Zombie uh, teamed up with uh, teamed up to actually build an unmanned store for essential items and disinfectant supplies. You know, to get around all of the social distancing and uh, quarantine and whatnot. It is a little a little scary. I think there's a video of it online. Um, it, it, it's a little freaky, but <laughs> it used a lot of technology to kind of recognize, you know, who's coming up and how you get it paid so it can just remain unmanned. unmanned. Um, Chick-fil-A also developed a lot of changes to its drive-through process so that way they can kind of maximize safety and efficiency in the face of honestly, the skyrocketing demand of takeout food. Well, yeah. honestly, Chick-fil-A and probably everybody else and then Uber Eats are probably just sitting in the background just, you know, elated that this occurred. <laughs> so anyways, my point is that to survive a crisis, companies are forced to be agile. And business owners uh, like ourselves are finding that we need to get even more creative. We got to break more barriers and we got to rise up to challenges handed to us. This is good because at the end of the day, out of a crisis, there is innovation. And right now we're in the midst of innovating how employees work, how employers provide that work, and how business owners hire. I agree. And I'm, I'm going to say that great minds think alike because I also found amazing examples of companies that pivoted in the face of very difficult times and found themselves more profitable than they were before. And also an interesting trend that was fast-tracked my source for these will be in the show notes and know that I am quoting these examples from the U.S. Chamber website. For much of its history, IBM had been one of the world's top manufacturers of computing machines, computer equipment, and mainframes. But in the early 1990s, the company had to change course because its hardware business faced steep competition. In 1993, the company posted a staggering $8 billion quarterly loss. Ugh, that's a lot. Uh, to turn the company around, executives made the bold decision to abandon hardware areas such as computer chips, hard drives, and printers. Instead, IBM would focus on software, IT consulting services, and computing research. And this move brought the company back to profitability and improved its reputation. IBM's spirit of reinvention continues with its 2020 decision to split 
two companies, one that is focused on cloud computing and artificial intelligence, and one that provides managed IT services. Peloton, Mirror, and other companies that provide home-based connected fitness products and online classes have become popular because many gyms closed throughout the U.S. during the pandemic. However, now that these products and classes have become part of the home routines, it's likely they are here to stay for the long term. With more people aware of the virtual options for maintaining their fitness and wellness, I think people will continue to include online classes and workouts as a part of their overall wellness routine, Paul Javid, CEO of Aloe Moves, told Forbes. The key factor here is variety. People want their workouts to work for them, and they enjoy being able to customize their classes to their ever-evolving lifestyle. And I will admit that this is also something that I took advantage of over the course of the last two years. I, <laughs> I found whatever YouTube video I could find to work out in between my uh, quote-unquote office time and uh, home time to buffer the difference between uh, it didn't exist anymore. So that's at least one oh. way you can you know, work remotely and make it, make it not make you go crazy. And that's so, true. I do realize that I just stopped going to the gym. Um, and work, I mean, it worked out from home, right? Cause you had to do yeah. it for so long because all yeah. the gyms were closed for so long. So you just ended up adapting. And then I, I guess I adapted a way that I liked better. And now I just won't, like, I don't need to go back to a paid gym or a full gym. Can yep, yep. work out in the comfort of my own home. Yeah. I prefer it. Um, okay, so with each episode, we like to share either books, tools, apps, platforms, or anything we think is a great next step to, and connector to our discussion. So if you like our subject matter and want to learn more, you'll have a great place to start. All right. So on this subject today, I don't really have any books or tools to recommend. Um, articles we've referenced to support the information that we've discussed in this episode will be linked in our show notes as usual. So those will be some reading references. Um, I just have a word of advice, which is to simply embrace our new situation. It's not like we have a lot of choice, but shifting our mindset to look for new ways of doing things instead of questioning why it's not the way it used to be will open our minds to new ideas and make it feel just a little bit less hard. Now, this episode really is to set the context for the next two episodes um, to kind of clarify the reality that we live in now as employers and the new mindset of employees. So I would also advise, uh, selfishly enough, uh, <laughs> to stay tuned to the next couple episodes that we have where we're going to share our own new ideas and processes for hiring in this post-COVID world that we ourselves had to innovate, that we had to implement in our, you know, actual running businesses today. And we hope that this will help you either use it yourself or maybe drive some new ideas of your own to be able to um, help your own hiring situation in your company today. I agree. I can't honestly recommend a book without first giving this piece of advice. Take a good, hard, honest look, honest look at the kind of culture your company has and recognize the areas in which you need to change it. Everyone wants happiness in their life and considering they spend the majority of it working, there should be happiness in the workplace as well. I've said this before and I will say it again. Do not see yourself as the leader 
or the boss or the dictator, whatever it is you see yourself as. You are the coach and your role as the owner of the company should be aligned with what a coach would do. Think about how a coach would make you feel and how they would speak to you and how they would interact with you and support you. That's what you should be doing for your staff. And that is the kind of environment you should be creating for your company. So, mic drop. Um, Please join us for our next episode where we will discuss the second part of our three-part series, the interview process, do's and don'ts for a successful hire. Please show us your support by following us on your preferred podcast platform, social media, and now YouTube. We'd love for you to also share our episodes. All of our links are posted below. Until next time, mind your business behind your small business.